Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. And our Bible reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 2 to 7. Um, it's on the screen behind me as I'm going to read it. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring it to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? And what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why did you boast as though you did not? Thanks, Elizabeth. It's so good to have a baptism just to remind us that baptisms are weird kind of thing to do if you're not a part of church splashing water that symbolizes something but actually what we do <coughs> excuse me what we do here is often seen as very different this passage really digs into that a little bit more so i'm glad we're all here i did mention earlier that next week that uh, we're going to celebrate a few things in the service and one of those things is to become new members if you've spoken to glenn or any of the elders about becoming a member i'll talk to you this week about what's going to happen for next week if you still haven't talked to glenn about hey i did want to sign up i did want to officially become a member here at Southside. make sure you do it this week and we'll talk to you about what happens next week let me just quickly pray that God might help us to understand his word clearly this morning. Dear Father God, we do come here before you to listen, to learn, to know you more. And we do pray that you'd help to set our hearts on you this morning, that you'd open our eyes, open our ears to hear you speak to us clearly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A recent survey in America of 2,000 teenagers come across this, what, asking them the question about what is their ambitions in life. And 86%, 86% of teenagers said that they were keen to try out being a social influencer, that that is their pinnacle, that's their career that they're striving for. In fact, 12% of teenagers said they're already there, that they already are in, an influencer. They've... It used to be in my day, if you wanted to be a success, you had to be a doctor or a CEO or even a rock star, a sports star. But no, no, ambitions to be a social influencer. Now, if you're of my generation, you might go, well, why would you bother? That doesn't work because that's how we measure things. If you want to try something out, if you want to see if it's real and true, the question is, well, does it really work? Did a bit of looking around. There's this guy called Cristiano Ronaldo, puts a tweet out or puts a, um, 
Insta post out. If you want him to mention your product as an influencer, you have to pay him, that's American dollars, so the top end of nearly $3 million for him to promote. This is not what he earns in a lifetime. It's not what he earns in a year. This is what he earns per post. He's the number one guy. Kylie Jenner earns, uh, yeah, over $2 million Australian to put up a post on Instagram. The Rock, The Rock, he gets about $2 million-ish for putting up a post. One post. This whole influencer, it sounds quite appealing, can be very lucrative. In fact, this week I'm thinking of going to a shop and buying one of those Instagram things to see if I can become <laughs> one as well. You do get it at the shop. The, uh, but if you want to see it works, if somebody wants to be an influencer, you go, well, actually, when you look at these guys, it's hard to say it doesn't work. But it's actually how we do everything, isn't it? We measure everything by seeing how does it work. Whether you want a career, a career path. You look at those who are being employed by that job. Are they happy in their job? Are they making money in that job? Does it work? Even in uh, marriages, the history of marriage in Australia is really interesting. Everybody got married in the 1940s, 50s, pushing into the 60s. All of a sudden, uh, Gen X, my generation, was asking, well, actually, I don't know whether marriage works. My parents are unhappy, they're this and this, so I'm just not going to get married because they're checking out, does it work? Actually, I don't know whether it does work. Maybe it's not for me. Church is the same. What about Christianity? Does Christianity work? Well, let's have a look. Let's see, does it really work? Is it making people fulfilled and happy? Are they finding life through the church? Because the church comes and says, uh, makes a whole lot of claims from the gospel that you'll find life, that you'll find forgiveness, that you'll find acceptance, that you will find a community to be a part of. Well, let's see if it works. And as we dig deeper, often we have church experiences that go, well, when I'm seeing people, I'm not seeing that. They're a bunch of hypocrites. It doesn't work, and it's not for me. If you've, been, uh, if you've grown up in a Christian household with Christian parents, growing up to, in church every week, there's this question of, well, I see my parents doing this stuff on Sunday and saying this stuff on Sunday, but on Monday they're, they're doing the exact opposite. I don't think it works. I don't think it's for me. Maybe that's some of your experiences. That when you see things in action, the question of does it work, looking around at, at the way people respond is actually more focused, that's having more focus than what's on Jesus himself. Because we all want to know. If it's true, it should work. The interesting thing about why we raise this today is we're in a passage of the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians, which is a letter written to a church. Uh, it's in the first century from the Apostle Paul. And this church is asking the same questions. They're in a culture where it's uh, Colossae um, is a, uh, traditionally a Greek city. The Romans have taken over and you get this really mix of dynamics of just going, we want to know if it works. If it works, we'll sign up. But if it doesn't, we're out of here. This is the context of where we find these verses. And if we dig deeper, we're going to hit two main things from what Paul is talking about. And he first says, God judges success, not society. He raises a question, well, who judges success and what is success? So who should be the judge? We'll pick it up in verse 3. We had it read earlier. 
He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Now, we kind of like that attitude. You're not going to judge me. I'm not going to listen to you. In fact, the court of public opinion is not going to judge me either. But Paul goes even further. He says, hey, I don't even care what I think of myself. Why is that? Why does he say that? Because it's the Lord that judges me. He's the one that I'm concerned about. He's the one I need to listen to about what he says. Now, why he points this out is Corinth, like I said, this Roman Greek culture thrown in together, is all about public opinion. It's all about what other people think of you. So you want to be well thought of. You want the status. You want success. So even in this culture, there's uh, an archaeological archaeologists and historians have found today this is one of the richest places to that that, there's lots of evidence because they carved everything in stone they said there's plaques everywhere street signs everywhere statues they've pulled out of there to uh to show people but they even had this uh even their architecture in the, the city architecture the town planning is the center of the town the center of action and activity is the market square so like a whole city block is dedicated to doing trade doing business uh that's where the, the who's who really show up but in that market square in the middle of the market square it's what they call a beamer's seat or the judge's seat where the governor would come along and two things so you've got this market square you think like city cbd everybody's going around doing their business but if the governor's sitting on his seat he's there for two reasons one is to condemn someone because that's like the the court somebody's going to get um called out in front of everybody humiliated and flogged or to give credit to someone that they would pull someone out and say, hey, we want the whole city to recognise this guy has done an awesome job. He's built a new road for us. He's built a new building for us. He's done something really great. And everybody would honour that person. It's being held up as somebody super special. He's respected. He's a somebody in that town. And everybody standing around would go, man, I want to be in that position. Wouldn't you? Where everybody's looking at you. you got the governor of the city saying... You're awesome, you're special, you bring something to this city. I want to honour you. Here's a plaque. And everybody goes, that's, that's what I, who I want to be. I want to be in that spot. But to even to bring it back to the everyday person, striving to be somebody, striving to be noticed, striving to be better than others, it was a case of if your neighbour was seen as successful, his business is going well, his life's going well, everything's great for him. You go, well, what's he got that I haven't got? Because I want what he's got. He goes to this temple. In Corinth, there were over 30 temples to different gods. So you had a different god for everything. You didn't have to go to one god. You go a whole lot of different gods if you want. Now, if he goes to this temple and life's going well, it must mean his god is true. I'm going to start hanging out in his temple so I can get some of that, some of that, what he's got. So there's this culture of trying to show that you're impressive that you're successful that you've got something that other people haven't got this is the culture when paul says i'm not going to be judged by you i'm not going to be judged by the court of public opinion i'm not even going to care about myself i the only person that matters to me is god himself the god of the bible i play for an audience of one not for the city not for those around me 
That's what he's doing. So who is the judge is really important to establish. But Paul then turns things upside down and goes, well, what is the sign of success? What is the sign of having things go well for you? And here he pulls out a couple of verses earlier, we pick it up from verse 1, when he says, he's talking on behalf of Paul, Paul, speaking for himself and the other apostles, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Previously, he's explained that as being Jesus. Jesus, God's son who come into the world, died for people to bring them to God. That's, that's what he's been entrusted in. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. This is the message of Jesus. What are you going to do with it? You've got one job. Prove faithful. Prove faithful. That's the measure of success. What does proving faithful look like? Well, it's actually letting it change your life. If this is a life-giving message, being unfaithful is just walking by and not listening. Being faithful is listening to it, taking it on, letting it change you, change your heart, change your life, give you something better to live for in God himself and his kingdom. To be faithful is to own it yourself. To be faithful of something precious like that, a message so important, is to show other people. And that's what Paul does. He's become a missionary, going around, telling people about Jesus. So this idea of proving faithful, that's the measure of God's idea of success. He says it right at the end of the passage, wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, we will receive, uh, at that time each will receive their praise from God. See, God knows what's going on the inside, whether you're playing the religious game or it's really genuine in the heart. You're striving to love him, to be faithful to him. But then, rather than getting the praise of people, you're getting the praise of God. The Corinthians, they're looking, for the, um, they're looking to be recognised by people, by others. Paul says, no, I want to be recognised by God. The Corinthians say, we want to be recognised by our success. Paul says, no, I want to be recognised for my faithfulness. That's what it really looks like. This is the true judge, according to God. But then he goes on to explain, what does that really look like? And Paul uses himself as the example. He goes on in verse 6, as he talks about, I've applied this to myself, we've been talking about the apostles, are they truly following uh, Jesus? or not is it something else because the corinthians are going yeah we got jesus yeah paul you taught us jesus that's okay but now we want something more we want something better we want something more successful and paul's going no no don't go beyond what is written we don't go beyond it's just jesus jesus the one who changes us jesus the one who saves us it's all about jesus don't go beyond that which is what they're trying to do but paul then explains what a christian looks like if they take on the culture's values versus God's values. And he contrasts them and he really picks it apart. Picking up in verse 8, already, and he's, he's describing at least what they think that, he's writing to the Christians in, sitting in the church. And he says, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign and that, without us 
How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might reign with you. You know, reign is like an emperor, somebody who deserves the glory, this fame and fortune. He says, you've got it all. Oh, but really, if that's what a Christian life was meant to be like, oh man, I wish I had a part of that because that sounds good. Particularly when you're talking about faithfulness, oh, how easy would it be faithful, but to be faithful to God if, if you had the easy life, the rich life? no problems life be easy to be following a god that gives you that but paul mocks them and going you think that's what you got you think that's successful let's contrast this a little bit verse 9 he says for it seems to me that god has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena and what he's talking about there so this is a historical letter it's not just something that's man's made up in the past it's historical written in the first century roman empire and what they used to do then is uh soldiers would go out and they would conquer neighboring it's all about expanding the empire so you'd go and knock off your neighbor so the if you've lived in a town there with it's been tense all those towns had city walls because nobody trusted each other there was all fighting going on they're always trying to take your stuff they're always trying to cheat you they're the enemies your neighbors are often your enemies so the soldiers would come in and the commander would lead his army and if they were able to overpower the, your neighboring city what they would do then is come back to your city to the hometown and put on a procession it would have uh, the commander up front in his chariot often not the charity went into battle in be like a gold chariot something that gives all the attention give me the glory give me the honor because look what i've done and behind him in the procession would have his army all polished up all marching straight look how impressive we are we're rome we're strong and we're powerful we deserve the honor and then after that would be all their their treasures that they plundered so there'd be all the gold and the silver but also food because they would just gut the city so they'd be showing throwing food out to the to the crowds that have lined the street because everybody's gathered to see so they'd go yeah this is awesome because we've got a all-powerful ruling commander we've plundered the city we've got all this wealth now in the city all this food then the animals come we're going to divide them up this is going to be good for us you know how good are we and then right at the end of the procession is the enemy it's it's ex, it's double points if you don't kill the enemy on the battlefield but you bring them out in front of your hometown to be mocked so they would typically and there's stone carvings of this they would typically be led along like animals so there'd be uh, chains around collars sometimes through their nose just dragged along you know come on and they're mocked and everybody laughs at them sometimes for the for the elite the rulers that you wanted to mock and ridicule they would pluck out their eyes so at the end of the procession you've got the neighboring king walking around trying to follow and he he can't even walk straight and everybody's laughing at him mocking he was the enemy we feared how good are we and how silly does he look now that's the procession that they would do now it often end in the arena sometimes for the emperor for the ruler the governor and that to make these glorious speeches and sometimes to get their prisoners uh, to fight each other in, in the gladiator type battles just to kill each other like they were just mocked ridiculed 
In that context, Paul says, it seems to me that God has put us, not the enemy has put us, but for some reason in the procession, God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the, to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. He's like, if you want the glorious life, if you want the successful, if you want the honour, mate, we're not seeing it and we're apostles. This feels really bad right now. Contrast to what they were having and it's just, they said, we want to become rich, we want to reign, we want to be the ones that are conquerors. We want all the glory. So it's got to be Jesus plus all this other stuff to show our success. Paul's like, no, no, no. It actually, it actually feels pretty bad where, we, where we're sitting. He goes on to put more detail in what he's experienced. Why does he think that? So he writes to them, we are fools for Christ, but you look so wise. We are weak, but you look so strong. You are honoured and we are dishonoured. He says, how can we, we're both fighting for the same team and we're both following the same Jesus because we, we're at the end of the procession and you look like you're at the front of the procession. So smart, so rich and wealthy, so respected and honoured and held up. Does summarise the priorities of their culture, their society, their world. It's actually not that different to our world, is it? When we look at what does success look like for you? Well, I want, to be, I want to be smarter than the others. I want to be richer than the others. I want to be stronger than the others. I want to be honoured more than the others. Fame, fortune, I want it all. That means I've led a successful life. Or if I can't do it, I want it for my kids. I want my kids to, to try new things, to be different. So I want them to be successful, to be rich, to be honoured, to be famous, smarter. It's ingrained. We live in a culture that, it's always in our ear going, this is what we value. This is what we want. That's our culture, not just first century Rome. But Paul says, have a look at my life. This is what my life looks like when I've got faithfulness in my ear. He says, to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. So we've got no servants. We do it all. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. He's not painting a pretty picture, is it? In fact, you know how a lot of churches have maybe a Bible verse or something out the front of their church to get people's curiosity to come on in? Can you imagine if we had these verses up in the front of church? This is who we are. It's like nobody would come in and check out church. In fact, half our church might even walk out. It's like, I didn't sign up for that. But it, it's confronting, right? But Paul says, I'm not playing for an audience of the city. I'm not playing for audience of society. I'm playing for audience of one, and that's God. And what does God judge me on? What is God going to reward me on? Faithfulness. What does faithfulness look like? Being like Jesus. What is being like Jesus? What does it look like? It's actually when we look at that description, Jesus was taken. He was arrested. He was mocked. He was put on trial. 
He was beaten severely. You know, put the crown of thorns on. Prophesy, who hit you? Bang. They whipped his back till it bled. They marched him out in a procession, out of the city, out onto the hill, and nailed him onto a cross where they ridiculed him. What was he doing? There's a passage that talks about he's getting nails put into his hands. And Jesus said, praise to his Father God, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. This is what Paul's talking about. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. Jesus did all that. He's nailed up onto a cross. They're mocking him, spitting on him and cursing him. And that was the nice religious leaders. The other guys were doing even worse. It's like, who is this guy? He's a nobody. Jesus could have used his strength to stop it all. He could have uh, cursed them back because he had the power to do it. He could have uh, got legions of angels to come and take him off the cross and show how he has the power to do all these things. Everybody would have said, oh, he's, he's powerful, he's successful. <clears throat> but Jesus hung there. So you've got to ask the question, what was so successful about Jesus? His faithfulness. His faithfulness to the Father. The Father said, the world's a mess. We're broken we're sinners, they need saving. Jesus goes into the world. What does Jesus do? Love the world. But they even reject him. They sin against him. They kill him. Jesus' faithfulness to the Father for obeying him to rescue humanity, which means his faithfulness to us. His faithfulness to us who don't deserve his love, don't deserve his compassion and grace. But he does it for us. But he's faithful. It looks, the world mocks him. Your king is up on a cross. The worst death. They mock him, spit on him, because that's what people on the cross deserve. But no, he's dying our death. A success. Jesus was the model. Paul says, this is what it looks like for me. This is what it looks like to be the successful Christian life. Not to just live in poverty, not that at all, but to be like Christ in whatever your context. Paul goes on further down in verse 16 and he says, I urge you to be like me. And he says it because he is like Jesus in that description. In, Coloss in um, Colossians, it talks about Jesus' success in these words. For God, it talks about the Father God, was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him in Jesus and through him to reconcile himself all things whether things on earth or things on heaven by making peace through his what would you expect for God to make peace in this world he would come down as a ruler with an army of angels to destroy the wicked does he come down with paramite to perform miracles and to strike down all those who disagree with him but Jesus comes to save the world by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Very unimpressive that Jesus would come as a servant of, the, of humanity, that Jesus would come as the sacrifice to save humanity. That Jesus would do that. That's a success story because it changes who we are, that we can be our children of God, related to God. We don't live for this kingdom anymore, we live for his kingdom. We don't listen to the 
court of public opinion anymore. We live for the opinion of God himself. That's who we are. This is really hard to do, and it, I feel in my lifetime this is getting harder and harder because the voice of public opinion is getting louder and louder. If you identify as a Christian, even sitting in a church, the population, our world is not going to reward you. They're not going to honour you because you're sitting in church this morning. In fact, they're probably going to think less of you because you're here this morning. And we often get this voice in our ear. What does success look like? And we pick up the world's values. It's fame, it's fortune. I've got to be a somebody. That's what I want. That's what I want to strive for. And God's voice of going faithfulness, follow Jesus, follow my son, gets softer and softer. And it questions our faith. So the question of does it work is not a matter of, hey, it looks impressive. Actually, the Christian life looks very unimpressive. And the world is never going to understand that. Our culture is never going to appreciate that. But once you see Jesus, you go, actually, there's something there that is life-changing. That's what I need. I want to give you some examples this morning. And I was thinking about this. And the best example I can give, I've been truly encouraged by my mate, Dan Parr. I invite Dan up now. And like Ben said, it is scary coming up on the stage. Can you give him a round of applause? We're going to learn a little bit about Dan. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. Stage is getting a workout this morning. Uh, still got some water there if you want to be baptised. Is that, you're all good? Now, I've been so encouraging. How long have you been coming to Southside? Uh, it's about three years now. About three years, yeah. And what did life look like for you? So take us back. You're a young man. Um, what, what was important to you? Uh, so I was very cliche. I was, when I was a young man, um, I was raised as a, in a Christian home. Um, I got kicked out of home when I was 19 and I was relentless in um, pursuing all things materialistic. So I wanted the good job, I wanted money, I wanted girls, I wanted the nice clothes um, and that's what I chased relentlessly for a long time. And it's not hard to guess where you got those messages from, that's all around us, right? That, that's what a young man should be striving for. That's what I foolishly thought, I ignored um, the upbringing that I had been blessed with and uh, yeah I looked at other people instead of my parents and that was the message and yeah I pursued it. Yeah how did that go for you give us a look into the window of life of Dan. At, uh, so yeah, it was pretty messy a for man. a while <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but as I got older um, I ended up achieving mm. um, so I went from being a just a runabout uh, colonial boy um, to uh, being a general manager of a um, an investigative uh, firm. I had 45 people uh, reporting to me. Uh, I was in various um, newspapers and magazines. I was on the radio. I was on Good Money. I was living in a very nice place. I overlooked the harbour um, on one balcony and uh, a golf course on the other. And this is in Sydney? Yep, yeah, yeah, on the yeah. lower north shore and was whining and dining and doing all the things that were supposed to be um, I guess, uh, indicators that you were successful. Yeah, yeah. And you lived the life as well. I, yes, big time. <laughs> the career, job, money, girls. Yes, the whole lot. The whole thing. So how did that work for you? Like that sound, from the world's <laughs> perspective, you're a success, you've made it. Yeah, it never, um, it never felt as good as what I thought it would. Um, I 
for a long time, thought I was having a good time. Uh, for a long time I was very proud of myself, but I always knew um, I was living a lie. Uh, I knew that I was living, it was like living off a credit card. I knew my time was going to come, but I just kept going. Mm. Um, so if you step back and you look at all those things, you go, wow, what else could you want? But mm. when I was by myself, I knew it wasn't right and it always nagged me mm. and I could mm. never get away from it. Yeah, so what was the change for you then? Um, I guess I was fortunate in that it's not like I had a near-death experience or anything like that. Um, I describe it more of a, a, a tidal movement. So, like I said, I, I knew that um, what I was doing was wrong. I knew I wasn't fulfilled, I wasn't content. And slowly but surely, um, I found my way back to the church. Um, I used to go to a, a, a pub with some mates every Saturday and we used to get on the punt and bet on the horses and carry on all day. And just around the corner from um, the pub was this beautiful um, sandstone church, St Thomas's at North Sydney. And I just remember I used to have to walk past the church to go to another pub that was open later. <laughs> and um, I used to walk past this church and I just, just looked at it and went, oh. I've got to go back, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did. Yeah, right. And it changed everything. Yeah, yeah. So how did it change everything? Um, by the time I got to that point, I'd worked out that I was living um, a pretty empty life. Um, I knew where that life ended up, um, and I didn't want that. And. Um, I changed a lot of things very quickly. Um, I stopped uh, doing a lot of things that I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, I was um, in the hospitality industry. I was um, uh, managing uh, a four-star uh, uh, bar and uh, restaurant. And um, within two weeks, I'd left that and got a job as a a push by courier <laughs> yeah. to put myself through a private college to go back into um, the health and fitness space, which is something that I'd always really liked. Yep. Um, I cut off a lot of uh, relationships that I knew uh, were unhealthy, were wrong, immoral. Yeah. Um, and I just threw myself into the Bible. Um, yeah. The church had a, uh, a course very similar to what we do here um, with called course. Christianity Explained, so very yeah. similar to our Alpha course. And um, I did that about five times. Uh, and I just kept reading and reading and um, praying. And, um, you know, it was bumpy. I didn't sort of um, just change everything like that. I yeah, still had yeah. habits. I'd been living a certain way for, you know, 15, 17 years. Yeah. So it wasn't all smooth sailing. Um, but I knew I was on the right path. Um, and I did feel a sense of contentment. Um, yeah. This is right, uh, even though, you know, it's not like um, just because I came back to the church that life became rosy and well, easy and smooth. Ask you about <laughs> it's that been quite the opposite. <laughs> there's a perception of once you become a Christian, you've cleaned up the mm. old life, everything's easy. No. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible at times. Yeah. Um, which. I guess it's supposed to be. Um, it's supposed to be challenging. We know that. 
Um, so I guess as an example, uh, so fast track, you know, I'd been a Christian for quite a while and then I sort of, um, I ended up meeting um, a lovely uh, Christian woman. Uh, we got married, we had a, a beautiful child. Uh, we were married for about uh, seven years uh, and then, yeah, we, um, we, had, we went our separate ways. Um, my wife brought her daughter, our daughter up here to Brisbane. Um, I followed six months later once they were settled to um, be close to my daughter. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was obviously a, a really, really uh, difficult time and yeah. realistically uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, it still is. Um, but I've yeah. got God um, yeah. and he's put wonderful people um, in my life. Um, you know, church here uh, is probably the best example um, and the people here. Uh, and um, yeah, he, it, it's incredible if I look back on my whole life, but particularly the last couple of years, how intimately um, he has provided at such a granular level from uh, places to live, um, uh, things that have been needed, as simple as a car. I've always had a car as a part of my work. Mm -hmm. I left all of that so I didn't have a car. I needed a car. Divorces are very expensive, etc., etc. And the list goes on and on and on. Um, and I know that um, no matter what happens, um, there's, a, there's a plan. There's a purpose. Uh, I know where I'm headed, uh, and that everything that has happened and, and will happen uh, is preparing me um, for that time when I meet my Lord and Saviour. Yeah, yeah. That's a snippet of a very big story, and I appreciate you sharing it. But if you're asked the question about Christianity, does it work? Because you've had the, what society said looks like, wow, you had it, you lost it. Christianity, does it work? How would you? Uh, so the short answer is yes. Um, so what does that look like? I think uh, Christianity is so much more than just a philosophical lens to, to look at the world and um, to justify this, that and the other. I think uh, Christianity is a, a, a relationship um, that's almost impossible to describe until you've experienced it yourself. There's certainly a, a step of faith required, obviously. Um, but so, yeah, Christianity for me is um, a relationship with Jesus uh, and it's very real, it's very personal, um, it's very significant um, and he's given us his Bible to refer to, um, his word, and he gives us all the information that we need um, to form the views to live the life that we're supposed to live. Mm, mm. So, yes, it works. Yeah. I don't care about the things I used to care about. I'm not worried and scared about the things I used to be worried and scared about. Yeah. I have a confidence to um, be prepared to sacrifice things that I used to hold sacred. I've lost quite a few friends being a Christian, mm. um, friends that I'd been very, very close with for 20 years. Um, I would never have ever pictured not being their friend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was very painful, but I knew that that's just how it had to be. Um, and I'm not afraid to lose more. Yeah, yeah. Because God is our judge. He's the one. I always get encouraged you when we chat because it spurs me on in my faithfulness. If I start listening to the world and listening to what the things that I could have that the world is offering uh, and stop listening to God, you point me back. And I think you've done that for us this morning. So thanks for sharing that. Can I pray for you? And I want to pray for all of us now in a way that uh, helps us, opens our ears to, to God 
through Jesus, not the world. Let's pray. Dear Father God, just thank you uh, for this amazing message, that reminder that we always need to hear. Because it is so easy for us to, to live in this world, this society, and to take on to its values, what it says to us. Lord, it's so tempting to pursue those things. Lord, I thank you for Dan and his testimony, the way you've worked in his life to say there is something better. There is something real with substance. You might lose all the things the world offers, but you gain so, so much more. Lord, thank you for being a good and fair judge that pours out your love and your grace upon us. But Lord, we, ha we commit ourselves to the, you to help us to listen to you clearly, focus on you and not look for the ad admiration of our world. So we commit ourselves to you, each and every one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I just ask you to show some appreciation to Dan? Give him, <laughs> takes a bit of courage to get up here. And I know he's happy to chat to anyone about that sort of stuff. So thanks, Dan.